Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Hey, there's a nice little break in the rain for us today. It's good. We need the rain. I was smoking. I'm smoking a pastrami, and I had to do it in the rain. But hey, rain or shine, some things are just that important. Um, I want to do something a little different this morning. Before we get started, I want us all to kind of pause, and I, I want you guys to close your eyes with me. And those of you online, I always feel weird when I say that, put your hand out and no, don't do that. Um, (laughs) But just close your eyes. And I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about it. Think of a moment or moments in your life where you felt God's presence, where you were moved And felt close to God. Try to remember where you were. Maybe what prompted that sensation. And just hold on to that. And we're going to kind of come back to that a little bit later. But let's pray. Father, there are times when you do seem so near. And there are also times when you seem distant. Father, I pray that wherever we are at this time, we would have an awareness that you are here. Lord, I want to lift up the wife and children and family of Riverside Sheriff Deputy Darnells, who lost his life in the line of duty Friday, and the heartache that they are all going through, and the heartache that takes place in the lives of those around us and in our own lives on a regular basis. Father, may we pause, be aware of your presence with us this morning and allow you room to speak. I do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard Bella say amen. I didn't hear the rest of you guys. Good morning. Good to have you with us. I'm glad you're feeling better. It's good to 
And it's good to have you here and joining us and not just with the children. Um, so we started off with me asking a question. For those of you who weren't here at the beginning, um, I asked, when was a time in your life where you were aware of God's presence, you, you sensed it, and you felt close to him? Do you guys think about that? Were there times? Can someone maybe shout out a time when that was, if it's not too personal, if you don't mind sharing it? Kids being born. Kids being born. Nothing against Amalia, but... <laughs> <laughs> You didn't have to go there, but okay. <laughs> she comes out the first time you handed her, you know. Holding your child. Holding your first child is just, I'll never forget. Yeah. That first one, because being that it was C-section, I got to be the first one to hold her. So kind of like, but I'll never forget that feeling, like, wow, like, here you are. All right, it's a child being born. Any other times? Yes. Italy and uh, traveling all over by himself and I felt extremely afraid and in the middle of the night when I woke up and praying I felt uh, his presence and at, you know, asking him to you know, just watch over him or just leave mm-hmm. his hands and with that I felt it and I never worried again for the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in December, right? <laughs> So a life circumstance that was changing. Anyone else? Hmm? Death. Death? Yeah. Once you lost someone? Yeah. Yeah, yesterday at my mom's bedside. Mm-hmm. She was passing, and it was during COVID, and it was a miracle they even allowed me in there. And, um, yeah, that was very heavy. But also, I feel it in um, nature. Nature. So there's a lot of different times, right? And, and these different moments in our life where the presence of God seems different, seems unusually closer, if that's the words we can use. I, I can remember when I was a young lad, I went with my brother and a couple other people and we climbed Mount Whitney. And I remember it was raining when we started and it was quite a trek. We got to this place where we set up camp before we headed up these switchbacks to the summit. And we pitched a tent. And I remember it was very, very cold. And I, I remember I didn't camp a lot, so I probably did not dress accordingly. Um, but I was in the tent, and it was raining. And um, it had stopped, but I had to go to the bathroom. And I'd like, I don't want to get out because I know it's cold, but I have to get out. And it stopped raining, so I'm going to get out. And I went outside, and it had cleared, and the stars were unsettling. It, it was a blanket. And I went, and I'd never seen stars like that. I knew they were there but I never knew there was that many of them, right? And it was terrifying. 
it really was. It was like ominous. And I, I, I think I woke my brother up and said, you got to see this because we hadn't been able to see anything with the clouds. And it was just amazing how brilliant they were, how many they were, and how overwhelmed I felt in connection with them. Right? The sense of awe and, and almost a sense of the fear is the word I use because I just felt so small. I just felt, wow, I am really, really small. And the universe is really, really big. Last week when we talked about the law of Israel, we really just focused on how the law was something that was there for social purposes, but it was there for spiritual purposes as well. And that we really can't divide those things. And I think the same thing is true with worship. Worship isn't just a spiritual thing. It's something that happens in life. It's something that happens in nature. It's something that happens in moments when we are aware more than we were before. It's not just when you go to church or are involved with something, quote, spiritual or religious. It happens sometimes when you don't even expect it. You're just stepping out of a tent right? You, you go and visit someone at the hospital. You have an experience during these moments. And all of a sudden there's this idea of God being close. And I call that worship. And I think it's important to recognize that because we tend to divide things. We have spiritual, we have then our, you know, secular, um, those kinds of things. And, and I don't think there really is a division in life. Looking now at the tabernacle in Exodus, we're going to be starting in chapter 25, Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair. I just happen to have some goat hair with me, right? I mean, it's like, okay. So again, it reminds us we're reading an ancient book. Goat hair, um, ram skins, dyed red, and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, the onch stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. When you read something like this, if you're like me, one of the first thoughts that come to my mind is, where do they get this stuff? That's me, right? Aren't they in a wilderness? Where are they going to get dye for the skins? Where are they going to get the different kinds of yarn? How are they going to get all these things? And also, the tabernacle, as we start to unfolded, it's pretty elaborate. Did they really tear this down and put it up? How often? Was it every week? Would it be a month? How often did they have to tear this down and put it back up? It just seems like a lot. 
and we'll never know, but there are reasonable questions to these things. And it's okay to ask them, okay? We have that freedom. If there's anything we are learning, hopefully it is we have the right to ask these questions. We don't have to feel like, oh no, it's sacrilege. I'm, I'm questioning what it says. It's okay to do that. It's necessary to do that. And one of the reasons some scholars believe that this story of the tabernacle is once again mythicized history is because of these things. Where would they get all this material? Well, some say, well, they left Egypt and they gave them some things, but this is quite specific. And a lot of them think that it's actually looking back and is influenced in what was in the actual temple that Solomon built, and they are putting that back onto this tabernacle. Because it's also interesting that throughout the book of Exodus, we, we read the words tent of meeting that is used for the tabernacle. They would call it the tent of meeting, and that was the tabernacle. But it also refers to times that were just a tent outside the camp where Moses would be. And we see that in chapter 33, verse 7 says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And and so we see the reference of this tent in Numbers and Deuteronomy as well. So were there two tents of meetings? Was there one tent of meeting? Did one tent of meeting become the other tent of meeting? We, We don't know the answer to these. It's just some thoughts that we have concerning this. Maybe this was more realistic. There was a tent that he could set up and tear down that the people went to and interacted with Moses and with God. We don't know. I just put this out there to help us understand something is trying to, the writer is trying to present something. And if we don't recognize that there is a, a purpose to the writing, sometimes we can miss the meaning. And so understanding that the tabernacle and all the details are pointing to something. Even as it says that, you know, this is written, there's a pattern. What does he say? Make this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. That idea of a pattern, what is it? Is it like some blueprint? What is the pattern? And we know that it's very specific in all these things, but what is it patterned from? We see that in chapter 25, verse 40. It says, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Later in chapter 26, also verse 30, set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. So there's this pattern, there's this plan, there's this idea of what it's supposed to be. And that's telling us that there's something meaningful in it. And along with very specific blueprints of what's supposed to happen, God also gives Moses detailed instructions on how to build the sacred objects that are to be placed in the tabernacle. And it's no accident that they conjure up images from the creation story back in Genesis, right? The ark is a wooden box covered in gold 
that's holding the tablets of the covenant and, and the centerpiece of the most holy place. And then covering on top of the ark is called the mercy seat, a lid made of pure gold with two golden cherubim on top of it. After Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden, two cherubim guarded Eden's entrance to keep them from re-entering into paradise. We see that in Genesis 3. The most high place is really a lot like Eden being revisited. It's going back to a time when the relationship with God was good, when things were well. But now only the high priest can enter into that inner sanctum. That cover is also considered God's throne or God's footstool. It's talked about, the the mercy seat. We see in Psalm 80 and in Psalm 99 that the earth is the Lord's footstool, right? The logic seems to be that since the tablets were given to Moses on Sinai where we're now deposited in the ark, the ark will function as the summit of Sinai. It will be God's dwelling place, just like Mount Sinai was, just like the earth is. And any further commands also would be given to Moses from this portable Mount Sinai that would travel with them. This is going to be now the presence of God with them. The holy place will house a table, a lampstand. There's different artifacts in there. The table holds 12 loaves of bread, which symbolize Israel being in God's presence. The priests eat the loaves at the end of each week, and then they're replaced again, refreshed. The solid gold lampstand looks like a tree or a bush. Its seven branches are decorated with almond blossoms and buds. And the fire from the lampstand, fueled by special oil made from all these things that they gathered, this kind of divine recipe, it gives light to the tabernacle. And this is, again, an allusion to the creation of light in Genesis, also the burning bush in Exodus, also the pillar of fire in Exodus that is going to lead the people The lampstand also can symbolize the tree of life where Adam and Eve were banned. And to enter the tabernacle is, again, to return into that garden, that presence, that paradise of God. The dimensions of the tabernacle itself are ordered just like the cosmos are ordered in Genesis. And... The curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place has a bluish hue, kind of like the sky, and is woven into the images with cherubim and these, again, representation of angels, all evoke images of the cosmos and the garden in Genesis. There is a lot of things referring to these things that we see happen also in Genesis, the, the three sacred places, they're symbols of God's presence, the ark, the table, and the lampstand are made even before the sanctuary is made. They are put together before the whole tabernacle is assembled. And then the incense altar, it's almost like the last item to be built. It will be housed in the holy place along with the table and the lampstand. And the incense, like the lampstand and oil, is made from a special recipe. 
and its purpose might have been to cover up the smell from all the sacrifices. Again, we don't know. We are just kind of reading all this information, but all of it is symbolic to the people. All of it has meaning to them in their history and their experience through Egypt and through the experience that they've understood in creation. To the Israelites, the smoke is like the cloud of incense, symbolize God's presence in the pillar of the cloud as well as in the fire. And then finally, there's the bronze basin. It's placed in the courtyard at the entrance of the tent. The basin's filled with water for washing the hands and the feet of Aaron and the priests. They need to wash their hands and feet, otherwise they'll die going into it. It's also called the bronze sea. The water also can symbolize God's defeat of the chaotic waters of the deep in Genesis 1. But again, all these things are speculation. But there's a lot of similarities in the book of Genesis and in the building of the tabernacle. Only skilled laborers are allowed to work on the tabernacle. And it's the first time we read that people are filled with the spirit are the laborers who are working on the tabernacle, which again, the idea of being filled with the spirit, you think that's something that is, quote, spiritual. That's something that is religious, but it is something put on the practical, something that is put on the natural, something that is put on the common. And that's where we see people filled with the spirit, bringing the natural, the religious, the spiritual together because everything is spiritual. And the word that is used for the labors, it's their ability. They have the ability. It also means wisdom. The workers have wisdom to do this. Wisdom is present at the creation of the tabernacle, but it's also present at God's creation. And we see that in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, starting at verse 22. The Lord brought me, and the word me is referring to wisdom, forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there. He set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep by his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in the whole world and delighting in mankind. Wisdom was there at the beginning of creation. Wisdom is there at the beginning of the tabernacle being built. It is as if the worship of God and the creation of God are happening in both of these things and in very similar ways. And the, the connection between the tabernacle and creation, it goes deeper, right? Careful reading of it will see that seven times the writer talking about the tabernacle says, the Lord said, or the Lord spoke to Moses. Six times he says that on the seventh time, he initiates to observe the Sabbath. 
Six times in creation, God said, let there be light, and it was so. God said, God said, and then there was rest. And so these things are all similar, much like creating the cosmos for six days and on the seventh day resting, the writer is saying that God spoke to Moses, said six times, and then said, observe the Sabbath. The tabernacle as a whole is kind of this mini-creation It's a microcosmos. Entering the tabernacle is like going back into the garden. It's resetting where we were, back to the beginning, back to God's presence. And just as Adam and Eve rebelled and were driven out of the garden, after the instructions of the tabernacle, we are going to see the children of Israel rebel by building the golden calf. Again, there's just pattern that keeps kind of repeating itself, happening over and over again. And if we step back, we can see that the creation story is repeating itself now in this representation of worship, in this trying to, again, understand God and connect to God. They are going back to what they knew of God in their stories in that of creation. It's as if the universe is trying to tell them something. And so what they are doing is now mimicking what they saw and understood God to do in their story. They're now going to repeat that in their worship in the building of the tabernacle. I was watching a a series on, I think it's Netflix. I had heard someone on a podcast and the series is called Ancient, uh, what is it? Ancient Apocalypses, that's what it's called. Yeah, it's a fun one, right? But it's very interesting because this person who's actually a journalist goes throughout the world and finds these remnants of civilizations where thousands and thousands of years ago, they they built these monuments. Some of them, you know, the Aztecs, and some are these temples and places, and they don't know why they were built. But there's similarities to a lot of them. A lot of them have doorways that point to where the sun would set on the winter solstice. Exactly, right? And it's like, why is this happening all over the place? You know, and they all have these stories of the cataclysmic flood where things changed and kind of there was a reset in history. But the thing that's struck me is that all of them look at the creation and are trying to understand it, it seems, right? It seems like there's this pointing to the same star, all these, you know, different things. They're all pointing to this one star because it's one of the brighter stars. Why? Why? Because probably like me stepping out of that tent, you're like, oh, wow, something is going on here. What is it? I think I'm going to try and document it. I think I'm trying to find out about it. And so what I'm going to do is record these times. And so throughout history and all places of the world, people are recording these natural events and are attributing the significance to them. This religious significance, this worship, this connection, they are seeing creation and responding to it. And it's such a focal point in worship all throughout history in all different societies. And it's really no different here in the tabernacle. 
They are recounting their story. As they understood creation, it is showing up now in their building of their tabernacle that would be, again, the building of the temple. But there's something that I think we lose because we are not, and I'm saying we, but I should just say me. Maybe it's not the same with you. Something that I lose being detached from nature as much as I am, being in a car, being in a house, being in a city where I can't see the stars. There is this lack of connection to my interaction with the world around me. I I don't grow my food. I, I go to the store and get it. I don't kill my meat. I buy it and smoke it. But for them, there was a lot more attachment. There was a lot more connection. Have you guys ever seen those videos that start from like the deepest reaches of space where it's so expansive and then it starts coming down towards the earth? You know, you come into like the Milky Way galaxy and then you go through all the planets. You pass Jupiter and and then you pass, you know, Saturn and then you come to the earth and then you go through the atmosphere and then you go past the buildings and you come down and then you start going to the little microcosms of matter, you know, where it gets, and it's like overwhelming, right? It's like, man, there's such expanse and there's such small detail. I listened to a podcast a while back where this person asked, where do I fit in the size spectrum of the cosmos? It's so big, but it's also so small. Where does the human being fit in it? And they kind of Ask some scientists, you know, people who, and people who were good at calculating things, what is the biggest thing we know of and the biggest thing we can imagine? What's the smallest thing we know of and the smallest thing we could imagine? And in both of those scenarios, what we could imagine and what we knew, the middle ground for everything was the single cell, which I thought was pretty cool. Now, I'm sure there's a lot we don't know. I mean, this is a, but I thought, what an amazing thing that the middle ground is the building block of life. And you see, we are part of this creation. We do not only observe it, we are in it and are part of it. It's like I was talking a while back I don't only sit in traffic, I am traffic as well. I don't only see creation, I am a part of creation. And I have, in a sense, an inside look at what God is doing because I'm a part of what he is doing. And so those moments where we encounter, you know, the birth of a child or, you know, a a traumatic event, the loss of someone or a beautiful event in nature, all these things are a part of this creation. All these things are a part of the communication. All these things are a part of this experience that is both natural and divine. And we are connected to it. Paul would say in Romans 8, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. See, creation isn't just groaning, we are groaning too. Why? Because we are a part of this creation. It is leading us to something. And I think it's important to, to realize that as part of the creation of God, we too have responsibility. Just as the heavens declare the glory of God, we declare the glory of God, but we have the ability to do it in a different way. We have the ability to do it in a way that the stars can't. It has to do with our response to life as it happens. It has to do with our interaction with one another. It has to do with how we live among each other. And and as this temple was supposed to be this imprint of, of what God was doing and how he was going to show up in the middle of this people, later on, we would see that God does not dwell in temples made with hands, that the heavens can't contain him. We see that in the Old Testament, and then Paul talks about it in Acts 17 at Athens, that this was just a picture. We know that God is much bigger than all these things, but yet in some way, that temple was a connecting point for the people to understand we are a part of this creation, a part of what God is doing. And this is what we are going to do to connect to the God that we have this understanding about. This is how we will express it. And then we have Paul saying, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? And again, we see that we are a part of something much bigger. And if we are a part of this, the the challenge to me is how am I going to represent the God who is bigger than I can understand? How am I going to acknowledge and demonstrate who God is in my life and in life in general. Because it's not something that I do just when I go to church. It's not something I do just when I have religious ceremony. It's something you do when you are putting the fabric together for the temple. It's something you do when you go to work. It's something you do when you live your life, when you experience hardship, when you experience joy, when you have loss, when you have connection. It is something that shows up everywhere. And we need to be able to step outside and see how big the universe is and understand our part in it. When I went and climbed Mount Whitney, I had given my life to follow Jesus. And so I had been going to church and had been involved with Bible studies and for years, a few years. But that moment out there, outside of that tent, marked my soul more than any Bible study I can remember. 
I'm not saying those Bible studies weren't useful. I'm not saying that they don't have purpose. I'm just saying something happened there that connected me to God in a way different than all those other things that I experienced. And it would be a shame to not recognize how God is speaking to us because that's also how he's going to speak through us. Right? I don't have to just quote a Bible verse to have God speak through me. I have to be a light. I have to be an example. I have to show justice. Mercy. These are expressions of God that I think are louder than sometimes the voices we try to give to God. And worship, we have to connect to it. And so we do things like meet here and gather with each other and open sacred texts and look at them because that's our way of connecting to what is too big to fully grasp hold of. But because it's too big to fully grasp hold of, it's also, these expressions are too small to fully capture. And so we can't limit our understanding of God or our expression of who God is to the small things. That was the mistake that they made. That's what idolatry is. It's thinking less of who God really is and We don't want to make that mistake. Yes, there's a tabernacle. Yes, the tabernacle is built in a pattern. Yes, that pattern is very representative to the creation story. Yes, nature is a big part of most of the religious structures in our world. Those are all just expressions of something big that is happening that we ourselves are participants in. And so the question to me, and I think the question to us, is how are we declaring the glory of God? How am I living into this? What is my response to this? You know, I heard recently that the word economy comes from the word ecology, that they're similar, that the idea of ecology is these things that work together and produce something. Right? The ecology of our worth is the trees produce oxygen, I breathe it in, and I produce carbon dioxide. Right? We've got this symbiotic relationship with trees. We don't even know it. We've got to be nice to the trees. That's the economy that we're living in. That's the ecology of the world. There is a natural, there is a spiritual, and they are intertwined together because this is all part of what God is doing and we are part of what God is doing so what is my part let's pray God I am thankful that you cannot be limited and are not confined to temples made with hands, are not confined to books or rules or traditions. You show up in these things, but you are so much more than them. 
You can be seen in all these areas, but you are seen in so many other ways and beyond them. And Lord, you want to be seen in us. We want to be your witnesses as the nation of Israel was called to be your witness as Jesus called us to be his witnesses. Lord, we desire that. And so help us understand who you are, what you look like and how we can be a declaration of those things. And once again, I I want to be mindful of the, Hardship in the lives of people, Lord, those who are ill, those who are going through emotional hurt. Officer Darnell's family, who they just lost a husband, father, son. Lord, that is happening everywhere in the world. But even as you showed up there and the people who expressed that today, this morning, May you show up there in the lives of those who are experiencing those things. May somehow, in some way, you be close to us where we are, wherever we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I look forward to our conversation together this morning. And I invite all of you watching to join us because that really is my favorite part of the mornings. May you understand that the tabernacle of God dwells among you. May you draw near as God reveals himself to you in all the ways that he can. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.